For the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D A L E Y review.com. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And tonight we're here to talk about the 13th episode of the fourth season of NBC's This Is Us. This wraps up the three part trilogy of what's going on with the big three at the moment when Randall's getting robbed. This one is called A Hell of a Week Part 3. So this one was split into three sections. We have the flashback of a young Kate back when they were just getting out of their cribs and sleeping in their big kid beds. We have the teenage Kate with the turmoil with Mark. And we have adult Kate dealing with Toby and this new life as a special needs mom. And I would like to start off, Paul, with the flashback portion. All right. I feel like the flashback portions of this entire three-part series has been weak sauce. When I look back, I thought that this Kate portion, it was fine. But literally, I feel like we could have heard this in about one minute's time. Was the punchline just that she loved her mom? Yeah. And that the prince disappears at some point and your mom's there at the end of the line to hug you. I just thought it was incredibly weak, honestly. this There was not enough there. It is not showcasing Jack as the dad that we know him to be. In fact, the last three stories, I really disliked. I thought that they were not true to Jack as a dad. Let me give you an example, Paul. With Randall, he says... I need you to be the easy one because Kate and Kevin are the harder ones. So you need to be easy. This is the most bullshit non-Jack line I have ever heard to separate Randall away from the other two kids and act like you need to act differently than your brother and sister is lame and point blank, just like not real. You know, like, why do they get to act bratty and like Randall needs to act right? What? That's crazy. And I know we beat it to death last episode about the sheep story. How did you feel that, about that with the flashback that the meat of it was the sheep story? What do you mean? The, the, uh, the, the mobile? I thought it was terrible. So we don't really need to spend much more time on Kate's little story this week, right? I really don't feel. I mean, like you said, the entire moral of this story was at some point your prince is going to disappear and your mom is going to be there at the end of the line. That is really the whole thing. So let's get into the teenage Kate portion, which this has been something we've been waiting for pretty much this entire season, finding out what happened with Mark and Kate to create what appears to be a lifelong wound for her. Were you surprised at any portion of this Mark story? We'd only been exposed to the idea that he is probably controlling to some extent and that he's douchey and a jerk, but a lot of teenage guys are, even he's probably about 20, right? But we didn't actually see that he was kind of a psycho in previous episodes. So that was all new. So let's delve into that. What were the psycho moments that stood out for you? Rapid fire. The thing that stood out to me the most first was not that he was cold to her on the phone after she shows him up at the record store. So the red flag for me was when he said he raged out after basically the whole contradiction thing get in front of the customer. What about that whole scenario required any element of rage at all from him? And the fact that he needed to both ramp up to this raging out and then spend a lot of time coming back down from it. And, and I think the important part to that to me is the vengefulness in his actions afterwards. The quitting the job and acting as if she needs to quit too in order for for it to be just and fair like he's punishing her paul he's punishing he's he's taking away her job by essentially quitting the job and then saying now if you love me you'll quit oh my god this is all punishment for speaking when he was speaking for essentially interrupting him additionally that entire scene where she goes to eat like a bite of whatever that was kind of look like a candy bar or something and he like takes it out of her hand yeah Ooh, i have some red flag moments on that that's incredibly controlling and the type of thing that right away i mean she was obviously hurt by the whole thing but to put that spotlight on her and act like he's monitoring her food intake 
That's frightening. That's controlling on another level. Well, and he exposes later what he really thinks of her. When he says, I can't stand your fat face, that was a window <laughs> into his black, black heart. So the question mark is in that in the, in a line like that, is that something where he just knows her hot button issue or he really thinks she's fat? He or really, is it he just really like, thinks she's fat. Oh, you think so? Okay. I don't know. Sometimes people have a hot button and whether or not you think it or not, you just like know that's the thing you could push to hurt them. You don't have to necessarily believe it. It's just, you know, that's like their biggest insecurity. So you just say that. Like, remember when we listened to that Dane Cook stand up routine and he's like, you have that girlfriend and she knows that one thing and she turns at the end of a fight and she just says one thing. You're just like your father. And (laughs) then she just walks off and that just sits and it just stirs in you and it doesn't seem like anything at the time. And then kapow. Oh, you like lose your mind later. He knows her weight is an issue. Whether or not he actually thinks she's fat, just to say that is such a heart shattering moment. We haven't seen a lot of them together sharing stuff. We've seen them kind of make out, but we haven't seen them really get into each other's souls and the kinds of things that couples talk about and all that. So he's, he's perceptive enough to get this. Um, that her weight is an issue? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, Paul, she's she's dieting. And yeah, absolutely. I don't think that it's I I do not think in any way talking to a teenage girl, it's a leap to guess that they might care about what they look like. So and and calling someone fat is about the most basic thing you could call someone. I mean, I feel like toddlers. Yeah, but you're saying you're saying it's it's a known hot button. Well, you're saying he actually believes she's fat. And so this is like the reason why he's picking on her. And I'm saying, I just think if you call anybody fat, you're going to hurt their feelings. It it doesn't matter how thin they are. If you say you look fat, that person's going to feel terrible. There was two other big psycho moments. The let's have coffee at the coffee shop move on Rebecca's part. I hoped it was going to go okay, but I knew it was going to go terrible. When he comes in and he's saying all the things you don't want someone to say in front of your parents, using things like my car is a piece of crap and just like being so rough around the edges, so uncouth. You have two women who have been waiting for you and he's just so gross. And you know what kind of scared me even more? I understand that some people could take it that when she touches his hand and he calms down a little and kind of realizes like, oh, I'm being uh, over the looks top. Looks around where he is, who he's with. On one hand, you could take that and say, okay, so he was just having a bad day and he came in and when she kind of pointed it out to him kindly, wordlessly, that he got himself together. But the thing that I saw was a man that can turn on a dime. A man who's got emotions from zero to 60 and back to zero in a blink of an eye. And that man is scary. I'm not saying he shouldn't have apologized, but he shouldn't go from the foulest mood to the happiest face in one second. That's a problem. People don't work like that unless they're acting fake and weird. Or they're wired in a way that isn't like everybody else. They don't have to be acting that way. They are that way. There is no act. They they are happy and then they are super angry right back to back. But most people can't go from super angry to happy. You can go from happy to super angry in one second. I can. But once I'm angry, I can't go back to happy in a blink of an eye. And if you can, you scare me because something's fucked with your emotions. That's not the way that that negative feelings are dealt with. Like you're too extreme for me. You know, you're too intense. And that's the word that Kate uses to describe him. And I think that that's accurate, but it's extreme to me. And of course, the biggest moment, of course, is the tearing away from her in the car. Jesus Christ. I mean, how much would you freak out if someone did that to you? Girl or guy, I do not care. Left you in the freaking woods on the side of the road? This is pre-cell phone era, kids. She was truly alone. Uh, out there. Thank God she had a quarter for a payphone. I mean, to be honest with you, there's not a million reasons why she should have had that. Although, to be honest with you, all the years growing up, including when I was Kate's age in this show, it was definitely a rule in our house that we had to have enough coins on us to be able to make a payphone call. I was a crass teenage boy and I called it her rape quarter, not really absorbing the seriousness and uh, psychological damage that occurs when a rape happens. I was just, that's your rape quarter because I was kind of a jackass. Nice, Paul. Yeah. Very true. Paul was a jackass, arrogant teenager. Yeah, I'm sorry. 
I forgive you, Paul. Thank you. Going back to the cafe conversation right quick. A couple other major things happened besides the fact that Mark is a jackass and put that on like a gigantic display for Rebecca's consumption. One, he quit the record shop, which you've already mentioned, but he says it in front of Rebecca in this way that is almost like he's trying to show off for her, but also by saying it in front of Rebecca in this way that's like, and since I did it and it's probably a good idea for you to do too. It's it, like you've mentioned, it's like an I, it's like a way of like controlling. Oh yeah. It puts her on the spot completely. Kate in front of her mom. Right. Then, then the whole talk about, we need to be able to leave Pittsburgh in order to write songs. So I think we should go to your cabin. All of this was way over the top. Like I cannot I mean, even if I, imagine. If, if this was happening to me with my kid, I don't know how I'd be just like smiling like Rebecca, like, well, this is all happening right in front of me. Or or if I'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? I definitely think that my mom reaction would come through in terms of like him saying, well, I quit because Terry did X, Y, Z, which and, and so awkwardly, I mean, his reasoning is that he takes too many smoke breaks. I mean, as a mom, I'm like uh, duly impressed, like not. <laughs> um, but then when he says anything to her, like acting like she should quit, I would absolutely butt in and be like, Kate, you need to make your own decision. This is your job and you need to you need to make a decision for yourself. Mark, I'm sorry it didn't work out for you. I hope you find a, a great job somewhere else. I would not hesitate to step in and it wouldn't embarrassingly, I'll just be honest, it wouldn't even occur to me that I was saying the wrong thing or somehow being a problem. I would be her mother first and foremost. Maybe that would make me an awful person to be there in front of this boyfriend. But and same with the Pittsburgh thing. I'd be like, you know what? I totally understand that. I took a road trip when I was young to kind of like, you know, get my ideas going. That sounds like something that, you know, we should talk about, Kate. I definitely would not just like lay it out there. Although I know that for Rebecca, she feels behind the eight ball with all the kids. Like she feels like she's already on really shaky ground. Like she can't say anything to Kevin about getting married. She can't really talk to Randall about stuff that's going on, you know, because they already have this weird imbalance in their relationship now. And now with Kate, it's like she somehow she can't say anything without Kate just being like, yep, I'm the adult and I'm going to do what I want. So see you later. The I think part of the point of this uh, episode was that it, it took to Kate turning almost 40 in the 39 range for her to want to be around her mom very much at all. Yeah, very true. And that's a lifetime situation, which again, going back to the flashback thing, it just doesn't ring true. Like that whole idea that we're supposed to think that she was three or four years old and like idolizing her mom. And that would have been like the fantasy story that she's telling Jack. We've really seen her have a really difficult relationship with her mom, a real push and pull that always seem to exist. And if, listeners, if you guys think like you've saw it differently, please like definitely let us know what you saw. But from everything I can think of, you know, from her going in and weighing herself, you know, or being worried about what she was wearing compared to what Rebecca was wearing, all the things that we've seen have not shown her to be idolizing Rebecca at any point in time. So that story felt very flimsy to me. Mm -hmm. Rebecca does try to flex her motherly muscle. Is it too little too late with the, I don't want you to go to the cabin with him? I don't know that she had an opportunity to speak to it prior to that moment. I guess I would have waited to, to say anything about it until Kate had actually said, hey, is the key still there? We're going to take off in the morning. And then I'd be like, oh, this is really happening. I actually need to say something. Because before that, Mark said it at the cafe, but it wasn't something that seemed like it was like a true right. plan that had gelled yet. Just because Mark says it doesn't mean anything. Well, I just witnessed Mark saying a lot of shit coming out of his ass, you know? So like, you know, I, I don't know. I would have put a lot of stock into needing to have a conversation with Kate until she says we're leaving. The whole idea of a teenager being like, well, we're leaving right now and blah, 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 blah. This is so hard. It's so hard because of really Kevin being married. If he wasn't married, I kind of feel like you would just really be able to pull the like, you still live under my roof. You're still a kid. You know, you're only 18 or whatever. That kind of stuff. Yeah. But if your twin is married already and your mom didn't flip out about that, you going to the cabin with your boyfriend for the weekend seems like she don't have any ground to try to act like telling you you're too young to be doing these things when she didn't do that to Kevin for getting married. I don't know that 
there was anything she could do to stop the situation, but I kind of think I would have tried and, and and maybe completely in vain. If she runs out the door, what am I going to do? Except for, you know what? This is what I do. Show my ass up at the cabin toot sweet and just be there waiting when they get there. Like, hello, I baked cookies. Welcome. And then if you want to get mad at me, get mad at me. But I'm still not leaving you alone in a cabin for the fucking weekend with a guy I just saw acting like a psycho. So you could cut them off at the pass like that. You could go take the fucking key out from the rock where wherever the hell was hiding, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm a conniving mom, but that's the kind of shit I would do. I would absolutely, I would like gather some friends and fucking show up and have like a bunko party when they show up, you know? Like, hello. <laughs> I definitely would have grabbed the key on the way in from the cafe, though. The, the key to what? The the cabin. No, the key was like hidden somewhere by the cabin. She says something like, the key's still out where it is, right? At the cabin. Like, she's confirming with ah. her mom. I'm saying you would have to drive your ass out there and cut them off before they get there. That's very it, assertive. It's what I would, I would do it. You wouldn't, you would just be like, sayonara, I'm going to go do the dishes. Meow, meow. What would you do? Seriously. I mean, Our middle daughter says, I'm going off with my boyfriend who you just saw yell in front of everybody and act like a clown. And I'm going to go sleep with him, dad, at the weekend cabin. I'm not letting that happen. <laughs> like, cool. No, I mean. I'm well, not- how would you stop that? That's the kind of million dollar question. ways. You're like, you're like uh, slicing the tires on the car. I mean, she has to be able to get out of the house, right? To oh, get you're going into physical? <laughs> you're going physical, like grab her around the waist, keep her in? Yeah, like lock the doors. You're going full out, huh? Uh, WWF? Something to send a very clear message that this is not happening. Both of our parents could have just done it in words. They could have yelled at us enough and threatened enough things at us. We would have listened because they were paying the bills and they were paying for our college and they were paying for all that stuff. I don't know that Rebecca's doing all that much for Kate. Kate lives there. True. But bigger picture, I don't know what Rebecca would have to yell for a consequence exactly. She doesn't appear to have a car. She doesn't appear to have anything to really take away. Not quite sure what you would do. It's a tough one, listeners. Tell us, how would you keep Kate and Mark from going to the cabin? Or would you try to intervene or not? What was the right thing to do there? And especially you guys who have teenagers. I mean, what would you do? How would you do this? If I had a dead Jack, I would say you're breaking your father's heart. Oh, I would call the police and say someone broke into the cabin. Can they go there and check it out? (laughs) (laughs) How you like them apples? And no one has my permission to be on my property. Nice. How do you like that? Nice. I'd not put up with this shit. I'd enlist other adults. They must know someone up there. They've had this cabin for like eons. By that, I mean like at least 10 years. <laughs> so the phone call after he rages out again, would, did your mom instincts key in on the message enough to, to, to propel Rebecca into gathering the troops to go to go collect Kate from the situation? Was there enough there for you? Yes. I think the key is her apologizing, period. I mean, she had a super shaky voice. And then her saying, like, I love you. And and I mean, point blank, Rebecca said, are you OK? And she was like, not really. You know, I mean, my God, what would you really need her to say to go? She would have gotten there had Mark not pulled up right then. She would have absolutely said, I need you to come pick me up. Here's where I'm at. You know, like that yeah. was the next sentence. Right. She only didn't say that because he pulled up, which did you expect him to pull up? No, but only because I thought that the Mark chapter of this television plot would be, I guess, short. Like he could probably do a lot of damage very quickly and be done with the story. But what we have here is that as a guy who is very interested in controlling everything about her, he knows that this this idea of him loving her and and her thinking that no one is ever going to love her so so the fact that he does gives him like this blank check to to treat her however he he wants. That's a really important. Can I like stop you there for a second? That's a really important line that you just said, because it's something that now makes me want to like talk to our kids about that. The idea that every single one of us, hopefully, is going to have someone who loves us at some point. Yeah. So that first person who loves you is not more special than the second or the third or the fourth or the whatever. But we all put so much stock in that first person who says, I love you or shows us any mind that we put this really inflated sense of value on them because no one's ever loved us before. To that, I would really like want to talk to our kids and be like, listen, the first time it happens, someone's going to say I love you. It is going to feel 
immensely important to you to make that relationship work forever and ever because it's going to feel like who could possibly love me like this person says they did because it's brand new. But it's important that you know, like I'd want to say this because her exact feeling I think is universal for, for young teenagers. That first person now is everything to them because it's the first person. But that's something like, man, you made me think like we need to have a conversation about. Um, you're right. It, like, as like a baseline issue. Then she has the compounded kind of self-esteemy kinds of things. That she's absolutely been dealing with seemingly since birth. Yes. You put those things together and she might think that no one will ever love her again. So I've got this. It's not perfect, but I've got this. Yeah. I Yeah. I, that's so dangerous. I, I Do boys feel that way about like first loves? Is it the same kind of feeling? Because I definitely know that girls, especially, I mean, if they get physical, anything then in that department, like even if it's very consensual, very whatever, anything. But if they have sex, then this is it. Like she's bonded to him in a major way. It, it works different, but the same, you know, tell. like know. Mark, we haven't seen him do anything physical yet. Everything's been just emotional, psychological stuff. Although I got to say, throwing the bag at her and squealing away in the car kind of feels physical. It feels like it's close. Very close. I think what you see with the reverse, with men who feel like Kate does is, now you may say that's just a cliche, but it's the men that are done it like by like, um, this is a bad word, but a domineering type woman that uses a lot of words to the same way that a man might use his fists to, to keep the man in his place. But the man still believes that that woman's as good as he's ever going to get. Uh, I think you see that. I don't know that you see physical so much, but mental. So is that like a first love situation, though, I guess I'm asking? Or is it that could just be. like... I mean, there there are there are people, there are men with self-esteem. No, certainly. Too, I don't so. disagree with you. I guess I was just trying to, trying to ask you more specifically the idea that the first person who says, I love you, and they could be a very nice person, like, this is a good relationship. I'm not not setting up to be an abusive relationship. I'm saying the first time someone says I love you to you as a young man or boy, do, do you think that boys take it as seriously as as girls or women seem to? By and large, I would say no, but that doesn't mean that doesn't speak for the entire populace of men. There will be those that that do maybe even it may even be 60 40 it may be quite a bit yeah but. i'm just curious if you if you're a listener and you're a guy i really want to hear your opinion on this so far as i can think of i mean i know a lot of women who stayed with their first serious boyfriend for an inordinate amount of time maybe even marriage really probably long past they had really grown that where that relationship worked for them so i'm really curious do do men feel the same need to stick with that first relationship or no not really it's they could move on and it, they'd be just fine i'm sorry for interrupting you though because i know you were going somewhere with that whole thing but but it made me curious about you were saying that that kate was really saying, here's the whole reason why I need to go do this. It's because he's the only man who will ever love me. Do you think that the Kate and Mark storyline will hold a mirror up to audience members who may not realize they're in a bad relationship or may even see themselves in some of Mark's behavior? Sure. Yeah. Mark does not believe that he is an evil person. Mark believes that he is a normal person. Mark believes that he's even a helpful person with Kate, especially. He's not putting himself in her shoes, though, trying to think about the impact his comments and actions are having on her, which is kind of a more advanced way of thinking. And I don't think he's he's there yet. I guess when you come, especially to this teenage part, but really, I guess in any relationship, there's probably a fine line between helping and controlling, helping someone get a job versus telling them they should take it or quit that job. You're, you can kind of disguise control with help by calling it helping. But, I, you know, I don't know that it always is. When you're close to it, I would say it's a fine line. When you're observing it on a TV show, it does seem like a very... Obvious, heavy right? black line. Yeah, yes. I, I really hope that that gets through to some people, especially those small moments, the things like him taking the food out of her hand and saying, oh, well, you've just been really working hard. I really hope that people who say that to other people look at that and say, that is very easy for me to see that that is not helpful and in fact hurtful to the person you're saying it to. I would hope that there's people who see this and say, I'm not going to do that anymore because 
that clearly is not a good thing to do. There's especially other moments, I'm sure, that that come out. The whole idea of not being able to see her face anymore and so taking off and leaving her so vulnerable, like anything could have happened. She could have got hit by a car. She could have got picked up by a stranger or whatever, you know, lots of bad shit could have happened. The willingness to put her out there to be hurt as like a punishment to her right? because of something you didn't like. You are a freaky dude. You know, that is scary, but people do it all the time. They don't pick up the phone when a loved one's calling just to punish that person when that person could like be in a dire situation. What's uh, interesting to me about this is that two weeks ago, originally, when we posted the Hell of a Week part one, and we knew that Kate had this phone call and, and they were rallying the troops to go pick her up. I posed to various Facebook groups what they thought had happened to her. Every one of the responders thought that she'd been sexually assaulted. I think that is probably where we're going with this cabin. I mean, I think that once we get there, there's going to be a lot of pent up anger in Mark. He has proven that he's not just like snotty in the moment and then apologize like with the job thing. Like, yes, he was snotty in the moment in the store and like took off and then didn't answer her phone calls. But he took it a step further and quit the job and said, you have to quit the job. He's somebody who's going to take it two or three steps further now. It's not enough that he left her on the side of the road and he came back and got her. No, no, no. There's like punishment to be had for this. I definitely think he's going to get aggressive with her. I'm scared. I'm scared of how far are they going to show this? I mean, this was a if this was a movie, they would show her get quite hurt next week, but then they'd show the Pearsons show up and then they'd show the brothers beat the fuck out of Mark. That'd be that. I don't think that's going to happen, though. What do you think is going to happen? Uh, the way that they brought him back so that he could do more damage. It feels it feels like they're going to let him linger a few episodes still, doesn't it? Unfortunately, yeah, I do. I think that it, it, it has to do more damage than this. I mean, this has all been shocking, especially for Kate. She's blindsided by every single thing he does because the reality is that as much as she is like talking hot that he loves her and she's never had this kind of love before, it's quite the opposite. She has been treated so well by really her brothers who don't really do anything to her. They don't pick on her. They don't do anything to her. Her parents who have doted on her and loved her. She really hasn't had her ass kicked around the block by anyone. This is eye-opening. You know, she's kind of claiming no one's ever loved me like this when it's like, no, no one's ever treated you like shit like this. That's why this is so horrible and insane. Really, I hope it shows you appreciating who your family really is and how they have treated you. This is going to be harsh. I do agree with all of the posters who said it's going to be a sexual assault because I know I have read multiple stories where putting on a great deal of weight after a sexual assault is very common. It is a physical barrier between you and your emotional state and the world. It somehow makes you feel a little bit more separated, like you can't get to me in the same way you could get to me before because I've put up this physical barrier, this weight. And also, maybe now people won't look at me like a sexual object. People won't associate me as like, I'm I'm a woman that needs to be some sort of victim. I'm, I'm just a person over here, an asexual, overweight person that you're not paying any attention to. And that's what I want. I don't want any men's attention. It makes sense why her her weight gain would be so substantial if something very horrible happens. But do you think that Fogelman will go there? Especially given that we know we have families who listen to our podcast. We know we have people who share it with their families. What will they show? How far will this go? I mean, I can't speak to like, um, say, the adoption-related storylines or the foster family-related storylines. I can speak to the premature baby storyline. I could say, like, with that story, they took a concept, say, that could go from zero to ten, right? Zero, like the NICU portions and the actual birth, right? Right. This is what you're talking about. And zero would be just like mention it in passing that the baby's a preemie, but no big deal. Ten is that they show our life, (laughs) right? They went to eight or nine, I think, in terms of keeping it pretty freaking real. I'm going to give them more like a six or a seven because I didn't think they kept it real in terms of the length of time that they kept the baby in the NICU. Exactly, yes. And they didn't show 
the true cliche roller coaster that being in the NICU is like really good day, really terrible day, okay, I'll really go with good day. Seven then. So yeah, so I'm only giving it six or seven on that. Although I'm saying that the after effects, the stuff we're going to get into as now adult Kate and Toby are dealing with, I think that they're showing that at, at a very accurate, real level. So I, I agree with you. It's really the NICU portion that kind of, they just needed to speed it along for, they have so much story to tell. But because you and I feel like that was our little slice of the pie that they were telling, it did feel a little shortchanged that they didn't, they didn't show a little bit more. Because if you had a preemie in the family and say it was a cousin's or, or even like a sibling's or something who was going through this, I don't think that it drew enough empathy for a real life situation. Do you understand what I mean? Like if I was sure. an audience member, I wouldn't go to that person and be like, I really get what you went through because I saw this storyline on This Is Us. And so I, I, I've really internalized it. I don't think that they showed enough for that type of reaction. The, the babyhood part, though, is, is working yeah, out so pretty, far. pretty close to reality. And so given that, they, they will probably skew comparably close Okay. To this storyline and the intensity that that it can bring. I am not looking forward to that. I think this is going to be pretty scary stuff. I do hope that it that the good that will come of it is that it should elicit a lot of conversations in households that, you know, if you are watching with your kids, that you have an opportunity to bring up a, a difficult subject, the concept of date rape or the concept of just because you're in a relationship doesn't mean you have to do anything ever, you know, yeah. that type of thing that you're always allowed to say no, even if you're married, all that kind of stuff. I think that those are good conversations to have. And if this is us kind of propel people to do that. That's great. I don't really want to watch it. I really, I, I, if you guys have followed us since the beginning of all this stuff, I have such a squeamish stomach about anybody being hurt or abused in any way as entertainment for me on TV. I know they're actors. I know, but you know, it's just, it's something that, oh, I just struggle with. I really, my heart is so ridiculously empathetic, even to fictional characters. I just don't want to see people get hurt. Like that, you know? How did you feel about Kate and Toby's uh, exchanges this week? Okay, so this actually felt very realistic. Would like to shed some light on some of this for viewers who think, whoa, Toby is a complete asshat and who would take their mom and all this stuff. Let's dive into this. If you guys remember, we have the blind baby retreats the blind family retreat that they're going to. Initially, this was set up as a birthday gift for Toby. And both you and I said, that's a terrible birthday gift. It is a good thing to go and do, but it is a bad <laughs> birthday gift. It is. It would be like if your wife was pregnant and you gave her a Lamaze class for a birthday present. I'm glad you're doing that. And it's important or whatever, whatever your thoughts on Lamaze. It's just an example. But it's like, that's not a gift to anybody. Right. Going to a going to a like a conference, a family conference and getting information is not a gift to anyone like that. Like, no. That was just a weird setup to begin with. What did you think about Kate preemptively just sidestepping Toby and being like, you know what? I'm actually just gonna invite my mom. I have a lot of different feelings about that. One is that A, it's a little early in the process of Toby wigging out about this blind baby business to, to just jump to that. He's, he kind of wavers on it for a second and you're like, okay, you're not going. For me, that seems like a pretty fast decision to make all by yourself. But I'm going to pause you there. This is not, it was not about the wavering right there. It was about the previous comments about looking at my baby makes me sad all that stuff. Yeah. This this was more than just him acting a little, like just a little unsure about the retreat. So then how do you feel that she sidestepped him and just went to mom? Since I'm the Toby in this situation, I feel like, I don't know, like he, it's not like you can make him go, but I mean, she just, I don't know. I didn't see enough to be- To, to warrant her- Yeah, to, to just get- ditched right away like she knew that he i think she knew that he needed to be there or should be there and he didn't even really have like he was trying to kind of gin up a, a lame excuse with like things are really crazy at work right now or whatever 
Well, that's the excuse she uses. She tells mom him say, I didn't think he even said that. No, I he, thought he was she just f- oh, he was just acting a little silly. Yeah. Okay, okay, I'm with you on that. I'm gonna say this in real life. Here's how it went down for us. We didn't go to our first family retreat until our kids were about three years old, and that had everything to do with medical and health issues. Our guys were in the NICU for six months, then were medically fragile for the remaining couple of years until about three. It was not something that we could do. And we certainly couldn't travel with three infants to go do something like this. We ourselves went to conferences alone without the children at various points in time, but really not until about three. At that point in time, Paul had really been burning the candle at both ends. He had been going to work. He kept his full-time normal job and was staying up with me and the babies. Life was just a series of craziness for years, guys. Not like, oh, that first six months was rough. I mean, like three years, what people might think of those first few months of a newborn. That is what it was like. And I'm talking like some of our kids were on oxygen. Like this was serious stuff. I actually did say to Paul, hey, listen, my mom has interest in going to this deaf blind conference. I can take the kids and they have childcare there. What do you think about having a weekend off? And you could just truly just get sleep and try to do what you can because our babies are going to be in kid care. So I'm going to try to sleep as well, like over this weekend. I don't recall what I said, but oh, I probably I did not put up much of a fight. I do. Do you want to know what you said, Paul? What? You said that would be orgasmic. <laughs> that is the exact words Paul used. Um, so you know what, though? I felt good about that choice. And in a way, we talked about this in previous episodes. When things are going on like this and, and you are in such a pressure cooker, Sometimes you have to spin to the outer circles, right? So you can't just stay looking at each other as husband and wife dealing with this new diagnosis and only have each other to talk to. Having a a parent, having a grandparent, having a sister or cousin or something come with you and allow you to expand the amount of adults who are becoming your support system is actually a really smart idea because at the end of the day, it's going to take a lot more than just Toby and Kate to have a happy life for Jack. It's going to take a lot of adults to to work together. Now, let me give a anti-hypocrisy disclaimer in that uh, before not going to this first family retreat, I went to several parent conferences and I went to every visit at the hospital and every surgery leading up to the final diagnosis. So I put in the work, letting that be out there. I'm not, I wasn't tobying out on this. Completely agree. I don't know what I would have done, to be honest with you, had you said anything close to what Toby said. And for me, as much as that line would have sounded like maybe just a comment or like an opening up of his heart, I don't know if I can explain clearly enough the impact that would have on my mom heart for you to tell me that you don't love my baby, my baby, as deeply as I do. But in fact, my baby makes you sad. Oh, and by the way, you're my baby's dad, my heart would have broken in two. Uh, And I'll reveal to you guys even a little bit more. I was on bed rest for two weeks and I had gone into labor at 21 weeks. That is way too early, guys. 40 weeks is how long you're supposed to go. I was having twins. This was craziness. In the state of Texas, you do not have to resuscitate. In fact, they don't resuscitate babies until 23 weeks. There was this constant barrage of people like social workers coming by with coffin choices, their box of what they put the baby's like medical bracelet in and what their little commemorative little trinkets that they would put in this box. The idea of us okaying that and being like, yes, this seems like a good plan. Let's go ahead and say we're going to do this. I don't know if the word is like disgusted us. We could not sign off on that. I had a lengthy conversation with you concerning resuscitation and whether or not we fight for their lives at birth, despite the fact that the law says you don't do that. What I remember of it was that as long as your health could be maintained, then we were going to do everything we could to keep these babies. That was it. If things crossed over 
to be where your health was now in jeopardy, well, that was a different thing. And what's interesting about that particular conclusion was that I wasn't actually a part of that conversation. That conversation was had between Paul and my parents. Always to this day, interesting to me <laughs> that no one asked me, are you willing to die if we could save the babies? Caroline, would you be OK with that choice? No one ever asked me. My parents decided they couldn't lose me and Paul decided he couldn't lose me. Decisions were made. We were going into this with our eyes open because they came to us, all the doctors and specialists, and said, your children will have special needs. There is no way they're going to get out of this unscathed. And when we asked our doctors, what would you do? More than one said, I would let these babies pass away. We will work to get you pregnant again and we will work to make sure that that pregnancy is healthy. Not one person said, I think you should resuscitate and make sure that we do everything possible. So we were definitely taking the path that got us a lot of eyebrow raises, but our hearts could not be calm with the idea that we weren't going to fight for them. Right. I think that's the big difference between what this story is, and in particular our story, but maybe other people's stories where they might have found out that there was a genetic issue in utero. They, as a couple, made the decision to go ahead and continue the pregnancy rather than terminate or do anything else. I think that it's a little different when you preemptively make that decision before the baby's out in the world versus the baby's here and now, uh-oh, there's a problem with the baby. Mm-hmm. Now what? Because I think that that is a bigger shock. Of course, for us, the entire process was insane. So I'm giving Toby a little bit more leeway that, okay, he really did need to come to grips with this. Well, he's still working on it. And he's he not, is. he is not getting, yes, he, he was, I don't know, getting ditched from the trip is not being given leeway. It's being told you can't come, you know? And the night before they, she, he gets ditched, um, he is channeling his energy, for good or for bad, into finding out more about how ROP is being treated. ROP is retinopathy and prematurity, and that is what their son has and what our kids have. Yes, he's spinning out in kind of a rabbit hole, and she kind of sees that, but it's isn't it kind of his to figure out that is a rabbit hole? I think you're right. And I think in a larger sense, he's absolutely doing the right thing to educate himself. The problem in what Kate was trying to point out to him and what I'm trying to say is that the problem of what Toby was doing and what Kate was trying to point out was that the child in the story that he was clinging onto some hope did not have ROP. She had a genetic disorder that was completely different, an inherited genetic disorder. There are and, a lot of ways to be blind people. Right. And, and that's what Kate was trying to point out like, hey, you're actually learning about a disorder and a treatment that our child doesn't have. So it's really important that you stay on track. And that is something that he didn't want to hear. Like he wanted to just basically throw, you know, hope out anywhere, which is understandable. And with a baby as young as they have. It's perfectly acceptable. It's early days. It really is. If Jack was like 10, they'd be like, what are you doing? Right. And I, I agree with you. And I think that it would have been okay for Kate to say, you know, that that's not the exact condition that our son has, but that but that is exciting that there are treatments for some conditions. Maybe they will find a way to apply it to our child in the future or something, because we have always remained open. All progress is you know? good when it comes to this. Of course, I agree with you. And so I, there, you didn't have she didn't have to shut it down. But I think she was just frustrated with the idea that he seemed to kind of be a little bit more open when Jack had seen the little Christmas lights and then he picked him, sure. picked him up and, you know, suddenly had some hope. And now he was like taking it like too many steps in the wrong direction. Because remember, my whole beef with this is Toby needs to love Jack exactly how Jack is without any improvement, without any cure. He needs to accept Jack for who he is and love him for who the baby he is now. That's my stance on it. And I feel like that's what Kate's coming to. Like, it's all fine and well to want to wish and hope and fight for cures. But if you're withholding your love and nurturing and fathering until that cure comes along, unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Rebecca handled this beautifully in going to the retreat with Kate. I thought she was energetic and excited and exactly the kind of partner that you want to go to a conference like this. These things, you guys, if you've never gone to something like this or any type of support group, it can get really heavy in terms of people expressing their grief, their setbacks. You may not have even experienced the same setbacks, but 
it starts to weigh on your heart. And I thought that they did a good job of just kind of dabbling in different things that could potentially come across a family who has a blind child's path. The echolocation story, which is what the clicking was on the bicycle. That is something that when you're in the blind world, um, you hear about it, but you don't see very much because it is so rare, but it is such a cool trick that, that wasn't just for TV. That is something that some people, I've never seen grownups do it, but some people can do kind of like a bat where they make a sound and they can they can figure out what, what is around them just by hearing the, the sound come back to them. It is a very specialized skill. I've never seen anyone do it in person in all of the years of us being a part of this community, which is 17 years. I've never seen anybody in person, but I have seen videos of people doing it. And, and I so believe it's real. I, I completely believe it's real as well. Uh, I think it's fascinating and certainly uh, something that, you know, is is a marvel of what human brains can do to circumvent loss like this. Them just dabbling in the idea of using a cane and how that can be difficult for people to kind of wrap their brain around and feel okay and not too insecure to use in public. They don't feel embarrassed. That was a great little nugget to put out there. What did you think about the Braille portion that they added in? I would have started with regular reading Braille. If I was doing the TV show, I wouldn't have done music reading Braille, which is a very specialized Thing. But for them, the two musicians in the family and baby Jack growing up to be a musician, I understand the applicability. It's just not where you start. And I think for this particular group, again, you guys, we our child is both deaf and blind. So the things that we were going to apply to deaf blind kids. So I don't really know because we never attended a purely blind retreat. I don't know. Maybe they do start you off with a piano or something right away. Certainly music has been a part of our daughter's life. She enjoys the the pounding of the speaker and she loves feeling the vibration and everything. And she requests music through sign language all the time, even though she is deaf and blind. She absolutely loves music. So this didn't feel off that they brought in music. I really enjoyed that they had Braille and they just did like a really quick like Braille is a six cell dot system. That was really good to just throw that into the public knowledge, just like just like a one-liner, like, <laughs> hey, you guys, this is what it is. I felt good about the little nuggets that they decided to share. The whole swimming portion was really great because our kiddo swam for like the first 12 years of her life. I think she was in water for like 90% of her life. The idea that there was going to be a lot of swimming pools and they were going to have that activity felt dead on that they, they were saying the right things. There's an element of, I guess, all parenting, but maybe even more amplified with special needs parenting, which is that your personal hangups, you just gotta, you need to get over yourself in some ways so that your kid can get what they need. Our kid really enjoys, or at least when she was smaller, being in the water. It was like freeing for her where she could only take sort of little little steps or scoots or something in a, in a given direction in the water, she seemed to just go wherever. In fact, her first steps were taken in a splash pad to move around in there and she find the water. This lesson with Kate and not wanting to be seen in a bathing suit. Let's talk about that. this, Paul, though, because this is a really important portion and you, po you pointed it out to me in a different way than I heard it. I heard her say that she felt... I'm going to use the word like overwhelmed by all the things she felt she needed to teach Jack that she just felt like, you know, if if Toby wasn't going to step up, she was feeling really like, how am I going to how am I going to be the mom that like teaches him how to ride a bike and teaches him how to swim? I heard her say the insecurity about the bathing suit and that that did. I mean, obviously that stuff hits home for me. I understand what she's talking about. You heard it so much more clear than I did. I guess I was just uh, thrown by the idea when she said that she wasn't sure if she'd be able to help with the bicycle, learning how to ride a bicycle, just theoretically, that she's just resigned to this idea that her current physical state is like unchangeable, that that was it. And that, that, that and the way it is now is the way it's going to be in six or seven years whenever they start riding the bike. And I don't know, that just threw me like, that is all highly changeable, actually. It just having a new baby is is not the ideal time to start trying to lose weight. But I mean, it's it's um. Well, she's been trying to lose weight her whole life. Yeah, but it seems like now it's like 
if she is thinking that she may need to be going this road alone. When you put it in that context, then I was like, whoa, she did just decide like this is going to be my size seven years from now and there's going to be no adjustment. And so I actively am going to worry about me being able to physically keep up with the baby. That was like a, oh gosh, Kate, I know there must be something else. And I know that she has done so much and I do not take anything away from her weight loss attempts because I am somebody who has dieted my entire life, sometimes way more successfully than others. So I feel her pain and I feel her ongoing battle. My grandmother is 93 and she still goes to Weight Watchers. I told her straight up, grandma at 80, I am done. I am not dieting anymore. (laughs) I'm going to have that piece of cake. I'm going to have whatever I want and I do not care. I'm, I'm done. Still, even knowing how difficult weight loss and and that whole battle with what your body wants to do. I have PCOS, same as she does. That that frustrating battle to see that I eat or I exercise better or even more than other people, and yet I can't keep my weight perfect, drives me crazy. But it was still disheartening to hear her feel like it was hopeless, that she couldn't do anything between now and when he would be bicycle ready. That felt really sad. I felt extra sad for her in that moment. Given everything that happened in that conversation, I'm sure it was upon review, she'll be like, weight loss is, may not be her first thing to, to think about. Gosh, I, I just don't, I, I don't want to speak completely out of turn because I've never been a person of, of her size or to kind of denigrate the idea of people that size in any, any way. I think the hopelessness or the, or the, or the resignation. Yeah. That is the part that, I would feel really about a lot of different health issues. You don't want to hear somebody just resign to the idea that they are going to be in poor health indefinitely. Like you, you, you want your characters to feel they can try. I mean, like she has the next door neighbor who is trying so hard to recover from his stroke. And at, at no point in time have I heard him say, this is, this is it. Like I'm, I'm, I have challenges and they're never going to get any better. And that kind of stuff like, no, I mean, I feel like he's been such a great role model to her that like you can have challenges in life, very, very complex challenges, and you can keep trying every day. How do you think that it would have been received to yourself or or anyone that you love for Rebecca to say, you know what, we're going to go swimming right now. And then this line you're fat and I'm ancient and we're both gorgeous and we're we're going to get out there and go swim. In the moment, I'm sure Kate would be like, you've never called me fat before. But then by the end of it, where she's like, you know, my, my memory's going and I feel f- free now to do and be how I want to be. Makes a lot more sense. And maybe even- Like, min- let's not mince words. Yeah. You're I, fucking fat, Kate. <laughs> that's out of control. But I, but, but I like what you said about not mincing words, because I think that when you have a degenerative disease, like she seems to have been told by the doctor, the idea of getting to the point of being blunt, of wanting to not sugarcoat things or not- sit and wallow in a subject. You just want to say what you think and let's make progress for it because you don't feel like you have any time left to do this. Right. It's such a refreshing change in their relationship. When Kate's like, am I turning into the girl whose mom is their best friend? It felt like, yeah, you might be and good for both of you that this has actually happened. I mean, Rebecca and Miguel moved out there to be your support system. She should be going with you on these retreats. She should be being a part of your life and and becoming that support system for Jack. And now even more so, now that you know that she is losing any any abilities, any skill set, you really want her to be there as much as possible and be a part of the process as much as possible when she's still as healthy as she can be. Do you suppose that at the end of that conversation, you know, after all the hugs and everybody goes back to their room and they put on their dry clothes and all that, Kate is just lying with her eyes open in bed like my husband is on walkabout. My mom moved out here to help me, but I'm going to have to start helping her really quickly. And I'm going to have this blind baby that with my husband is is not going to help me with. Oh, yeah. This would be some overwhelming (laughs) crap comes down to their duet of singing ironic at the karaoke bar. I think what you said is, is exactly it. How many things are ironic about the things you just said? She did fertility treatment. 
to have that baby that now she's going to spend her life trying to make things right for him. She thought she was going to enjoy the the, the happiness of having a baby, right? Mm-hmm. And didn't really, like every parent, didn't really realize how much stress comes along with that, especially if you have a child with special needs. How ironic that your mother moves out to help you only to suddenly have a disease that is going to make her need your help. I think the amount of ironies in this whole thing, Toby as well. Toby, your biggest cheerleader, isn't supportive of the baby? What? Oh my God. I mean, how many ironic situations could you have to deal with right now? I am a little curious what you have to think about the fact that she chose to call Gregory the neighbor and give him the lowdown of how the retreat was going. She wanted to share what she was happy about finding out with someone who had she thought be able to reciprocate and she didn't think Toby would. Do you think we're getting into any kind of dangerous water in terms of turning to emotional support to a different person that's not your husband? When you brought it up two or three weeks ago, I was like, nah, but now I'm starting to see it like probably everybody else that saw this episode. <laughs> Tell me, what did you what did you feel? Well, just that Gregory, maybe just by virtue of having uh, been a stroke victim and and kind of handicap force upon him at, at his at his age, he has a different appreciation for everything. You know, he's he's, he's crusty exterior, but really he's he's kind of a thoughtful guy too. You know, I think he's very and very he, much so for as for as much as a neighbor is going to engage with with a, with a intense family oriented situation like a blind baby coming home. Which is, if you don't know, it's kind of a big deal when it happens. It's like everyone's not really sure what to do with you. But he engages. He gives meaningful presence, the beeping ball. Yeah, that Um, was really awesome. That was another one of those like just dropping a little bit of blind culture information to the audience without making a big old deal about it. Like it was just like a one sentence explanation, which before we knew about Lauren's full hearing loss, we had... Uh, beeping Easter eggs. We had beeping balls. We had all kinds of stuff. Like I completely understand. Now we do vibrating things because that's how she can. If you guys don't know, things. look up on YouTube something called uh, Beep Baseball. Mm, amazing. And you will see something that you wouldn't even believe exists. It is a form of baseball for blind people or people with low vision, where they. Blindfold everybody so that they they have the same um, even disadvantage. And there's a pitcher, and they pitch the the ball that beeps to the hitter or batter, whichever one you want to call them, and they hit it. And all they have to do is run from there to first base and back. And first base is like a tackling dummy, almost if I recall. Right? It's 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 big. The fielders have to find this beeping ball. And since they know the kind of the route, I guess, of of the runner, they know where they need to get the ball to. But it's all done with beeping, uh, just an incredible sense of space. And I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't even come close to any aspect of that game. It's amazing. I, I served on the board of trustees for Texas School for the Blind for 11 years, and our beat baseball team kicked ass. <laughs> so I have a lot of pride in that. I definitely feel like you know this is a this is the type of show that can really bring these things out to more mainstream audiences and they can understand and i hope you guys do look it up and and are astounded by what you see i'm hopeful that gregory provides the support that she needs and at the same time i but he needs to give toby every chance here's a here's a tricky thing gregory does not have to replace toby as a romantic partner he just has to replace toby as the emotional And quite possibly like the physical, um, not meaning romantic, but just meaning like proximity, like coming over and having lunch or going for a walk or things like that. Actually being there, showing up. If Toby gets replaced in those portions of their relationship, game's pretty much over. Already we know that they've struggled with the romance portion of their relationship. For women especially, if you take out the emotional and the actual support part where you're like there for day in and day out, there's not a whole hell of a lot of drive to get physical with somebody. That is not what is going to 
that is, it's just not going to go well. As well-meaning as Gregory will absolutely be and as, as absolutely necessary for Kate to have a support person, it is going to be tricky for them to possibly walk that line of not maligning Toby in the whole situation. Now, Toby brought it upon himself, Paul. Like, he needs to go do some introspective work. You know, I hope that he's taking this time when they're at the retreat to look inward and ask himself, the fuck, Toby? Which, what did you think about how this episode wound up? Rebecca had said that she needs to tell Toby to, to step it up, but he seemed to know it when they got home. And so the offer to to take care of Jack while she goes to the cabin and the reason to do it were all highly honorable. You know, like it was the right thing to do. He hadn't connected with Jack yet at all. This is like immersion. What do they call it when, when they send the kids to, to school to learn Spanish? It's an immersion program. It's like that, but for realizing how important you are to your your baby. Especially with a blind child that you are physically, physically involved in their life. You are you are touching, you are holding, you are talking to them. You can't just be loving from afar. It that does it does not translate. I hope that Kate takes him up on the offer, although we did not see her say, okay, I'm cool with that. I don't believe. So I'm hoping that she does say okay and and leaves Jack with Toby because I don't think Toby is gonna like abandon him or something or neglect him. I think that it's going to be a, a rough weekend. Um, but I don't think that, you know, he's not willfully ugly towards the baby, you know, like that's not going to happen. He he just might have some rough goes. And so that leads Kate, of course, to lead up with Kevin and Randall and be heading to the cabin. I do want to point one more thing out before we we just sort of make some predictions here. They they took a moment to explain why Kate had the nickname Bug. This idea that she had this backstory of speaking quietly to these little lightning bugs and saying, go fly your way home. And that she was so nurturing and so loving. She was able to spread that love to even the tiniest little creatures that most people would like squash, literally. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that it was effective to have this story that Rebecca tells about this idea that she is strong enough? She is the little bug who can fly her way home. Was this impactful or was it just like kind of like the flashback? Like, okay, you kind of made it this story. Well, I mean, this particular story didn't like resonate with, with me entirely, but I do understand why it was there and why the, the timing of it was important. She's been calling her a bug for four years. Yeah, we've heard. Well, yeah. And for Kate for her entire life. Right. <laughs> Saving it up for this moment where their relationship changes from Kate be constantly feeling antagonized by her mother and her mother not even realizing what she's doing to to make Kate feel any any way good or bad. Mm -hmm. It's I think it's changing from that. Sees that her mom can be a friend, but she's also going to need to be this kind of dependent in the in the near future, and mm -hmm. all these things are changing. So this was the time to bring up that kind of memory to solidify the, the change. I really like that she summed up that story by saying, you're my sensitive little bug, but sensitive doesn't mean you're not strong. It's a wonderful lesson to put out to the world within the This Is Us universe and to just say like, it's okay if you're the one in the family that cries easily or you're the one that you know takes care of the little bugs or whatever. That's okay. It, it does not mean that you're weak or less than everybody else. You can be a strong person and still be empathetic and sensitive. Those things are not mutually exclusive. So all in all, where do you think we're heading? I know we're heading to the cabin with all three, the sad three. Both timelines, teen timeline and uh, Ooh, current timeline. Good call timeline. on that. Yeah, good call on that. So the teenagers are all heading to the cabin. I'd like to see them beat up Mark. I would like to too, but I think I'm with you 100% that it's not on this trip. In order for Kate to end up moving out to where Kevin is, something tells me that she heads out to be that waitress because she's going to head out with Mark. And might, this is going to get worse. You might even see Kevin connect, you know, with with Mark's jaw and Kate be like, stop, stop, don't, don't. You know, all that oh, kind yeah. of thing. No, I think that that like absolutely could happen. 
And in a lot of ways, I mean, you can understand that, right? I mean, again, first love stuff. And and if you had your family come swooping in and beat up the boy who says he loves you, my God, insane as this situation is, it would be weird if she didn't say stop hitting him. We've seen that in domestic abuse situations where people have been in there for 20, 30 years. You know, I remember this. This is going to sound so weird, Paul. This is one of those like Tuesday night movies of the week, right? And it was so long ago, and I'm not going to remember the name of the movie or anything, but it was like one of those like two night specials or something they had on it late at night. Sure, I was not supposed to be awake or watching this program. Mother May I Sleep with Danger, parts one and two. It's not. It was on regular TV, so it wasn't on like Lifetime or something. It was on like the ABC Tuesday night movie, okay? Oh, okay. The, the father was reminiscent of the character from uh, Sleeping with the Enemy. He was like that guy. And he was super abusive to the two kids and to the mom. Throughout the show, he was just heinous. He was controlling and horrible and everything. So the teenagers killed the dad. I distinctly remember they, I I don't, I want to say that, I can't remember if they shot him or they stabbed him or something. It was terrible. It was a bad, bad, scary crime. And, but they killed him. They finally killed their abuser. The mom absolutely turns on them, is out in the driveway, scrubbing the blood stains off the driveway, like absolutely 100% turns on the children, does not think what they did was remotely acceptable, but beyond that, like hating them for this. And it was one of the first times because I was little, I was, I was young, I was probably in elementary school that I was like, whoa, like people really do side with their abusers. And this is a real thing. Like I just watched an hour of this man being like, a horrible person and she's turning her back on her own kids. Wow. And so I think that that is like a standard protocol that she's absolutely going to defend him. And unfortunately it is going to drive him and her closer together and away from the family heading out to LA. No doubt. All I can predict is that when the sad three are comparing notes, Kate's going to say, guess what? Mom said she's losing her memory. And Randall's going to be like, yeah, I know. And Kevin's going to be like, uh. The hell. Remember, Rebecca, in her explanation, said that Randall had noticed the changes and that he did go with her for the testing. Mm-hmm. So Kate was caught up in the in the mild cognitive impairment. impairment portion. However, I think at some point it's going to sink in that Randall took you. And Randall knew this whole time and Randall didn't tell me. So I think she's going to be equally pissed. And Kevin will have been left out of the loop the whole freaking time. Despite being, you know, his phone a friend when he's wigging out. Exactly. I mean, I honestly, they have set this argument up very well. I can absolutely see where both Kevin and Kate would be uber pissed at Randall. Should he have gone against his mom wishes? I don't know. I know in my own family, we absolutely would. And it would be chicken shit if my siblings were keeping anything from me or I was keeping stuff from them because it is a no win situation. At the end of the day, everyone needs to be supportive of your parents. So what are you really doing by Uh, keeping it? I'm pretty sure I've heard you and your siblings have phone calls um, that start with this. Mom said not to tell you, but. (laughs) But here's the dish that (laughs) or we get off the phone and I immediately call one of them and I'm like, what did she tell you is going on? (laughs) And then we compare notes and be like, yeah, no, she didn't say that to me. Really? Well, (laughs) let me tell you this nugget. And we kind of piece the puzzle pieces together. Yeah, it seems that each of us will get like a bit of the clue. And then if we all work together, we can figure out the riddle. Yeah. But it seems to take that. Your regular Da Vinci codes over there. (laughs) We pretty much are. That really really (laughs) describes our family well. Well, we hope that you guys have enjoyed our coverage of This Is Us this week, and we very much look forward to talking to you guys again next week. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Join us on our new venture called Pod Clubhouse. Come on over and listen to more podcasts from a variety of collaborating podcasters. Thanks for listening, pod people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.